Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Chapin Hemingway, joined as always by Lee Carlo, but not Jeremy Fisk. He, uh, he's working on movies again, and we're happy to hear it. Although this one is particularly demanding and we never like it when Jeremy misses a podcast, but we hope he'll be back probably not next week, but the week after for December's very exciting series of podcasts. Um, I think we're all going to look forward to that, right, Lee? Uh, and, um, but in the meantime, you and I will hold down the fort. I think we're pretty brilliant on our own, but, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, this week, we're looking, we're going back to 2000, 20 years, for a look at the Coen brothers, Oh Brother, We're Out Thou. And then you and I are going to play a little game where we kind of put each Coen Brothers film into a different category. I'll let you explain that when we get there. Um, and that'll do it for this week. So uh, let's get into it. Daddy! Hello, sugar. How's my little girl? <laughs> he ain't our daddy. I am the only daddy you got. I am the damn paterfamilias. Now mama's got a new boat. Vernon here's got a job. Vernon's got prospects. He's bona fide. What are you? You can't marry him. I can't. I am and I will. This uh, gentleman bothering you? Well, you can't marry my wife. <laughs> and stay out of the Woolworth. To get back to his wife and kids, Ulysses Everett McGill will do anything. Hey, any boy, Smitty. But he's about to get off on the wrong track. Who elected you leader of this outfit? Well, Pete, I figured it should be the one with the capacity for abstract thought. Boys, if you just stick with me. Man, we're in a tight spot. Believe me, I got a plan. And I can get my wife back and we can get out of here. Okay, I'm with you fellas. This episode is brought to you by Cyberdyne Systems. Cyberdyne Systems leads the world in the development of artificial intelligence. With Skynet, the industry's first artificial neural network-based conscious group mind, Cyberdyne has created the first general superintelligence. Built for SAC NORAD, Sky Skynet is, quote, new, powerful, hooked into everything, trusted to run it all. They say it got smart. A new order of intelligence. Find out more at CyberdyneSystems.com. I'm, uh, I'm sure that's not a uh, sponsorship we're ever going to regret, Lee. Um, no, honestly, it's amazing how successful they continue to be despite how often things have gone wrong for them. True, true. Yes, I think so, you, could, you could say that I'm in general that we, about that. I'm glad we got in on that. So, Lee, I have a, I have a bunch of questions for you. Um, and uh, the first one is a quick one, which is, are the Coens significant enough to the get your film fixed podcast that we can do a podcast about them without Jeremy. I mean, we're going to do it regardless, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, so good. And that'll do it. Um, you know, I think they are very significant. We talk about them a lot. Um, I probably put them in the, t at least in the top 10 of filmmakers that we admire. Um, but their their filmography is so eclectic that I think us talking about Oh Brother Where Art Thou and I think Oh Brother Where Art Thou is a is an interesting film of theirs uh, when when it comes to kind of their eclectic work. I think we're just kind of 
dealing with a small microcosm of their career. Okay, that's fine. Don't. This isn't the big question, so don't go too much okay. in detail. Um, and so I was thinking, I wanted to ask you. I was like, you know, I was gonna. I wanted to ask Lee, like, like where where do you think the Coens think this this fits in with their, as you mentioned, eclectic filmography? But you know, the, the, they're sort of famously cagey about their work. They're not like the most compelling interview guests. Um, and so I thought I'd just ask you, like, uh, I think that this film. Oh, brother, we're out there. I, I, I'm, in, at least for the purpose of this podcast, I'm going to use it as a... I think it's a career shift for them. It, it comes almost exactly right in the middle of their filmography. Uh, I think there was like seven films before it, and so far there's been like eight or nine after it. Um, and to me, it kind of represents a shift, as I said. like I, I think it's a turning point for them, and I think we can get into that. But before I go too much into detail, you know, I, I want to ask what your thoughts are. Um, I think you know this movie came... You know, they had Fargo in, 90, in 1996, which did very well. It had a lot of attention at the Academy Awards. I actually thought it won Best Picture, but it didn't. It won Best Screenplay and uh, Best Actress for Frances McDormand. So, you know, kind of international success, finally being recognized after a, a, a you know a pretty long career at that point. Um, and then they followed up with, you know, probably the biggest heat check in cinema history with the big Lebowski and we can, you know, that's another uh, discussion, but then this film comes and I think it remarks a turning point, but so tell me Lee, like for you, what does this movie, how does this movie fit into the Coen brothers from your perspective? I don't want to know about from theirs, but from yours. Right. And, but I do, I do want to get to kind of their perspective because it was something I wrote down, but I, I often, like I said, they have, they, I think the juxtaposition between a movie like Fargo and The Big Lebowski gives kind of the general audience a good idea of what the Coens are all about. Those are two really popular movies, and they're very different in tone and style. Uh, But with movies like Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? and some others that we'll discuss later, you almost feel like they're experimenting even more with genre like a screwball comedy like they're dealing with things that we types of movies that we don't see a lot of and they want to kind of modernize them in a way and i like that approach i I actually always like when filmmakers can successfully execute that kind of idea you know a a long lost genre that uh, you can bring back and make modern you know you think about a movie like brick from ryan johnson that kind of put a modern twist on a film noir and here you have like i think a classic screwball comedy with oh brother where art thou and those are movies that i really liked those those classic screwball comedies from the 30s and 40s and for some reason i i find that genre struggling to translate into modern movies and but this is that oh brother where art thou is an exception i think it is i think it follows a lot of the screwball comedy beats in the ways that the characters behave and the idea that there's always a character that's that's more intelligent than they may seem and they kind of take advantage of the less intelligent characters surrounding them uh, and the ones that are the antagonists. So I think it it follows a lot of the formula of a screwball comedy and, and maybe this isn't where you're getting but uh, I like that idea. I just don't know how well it works in a modern movie. And so, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou represents for me, in terms of the Coens, it represents this kind of experiment 
type movie that they take on a lot to varying successes. Hmm. Okay. Well, I see. I you know for I do think they've done a screwball comedy, but for that I think of like something like Burn After Reading or yeah, Intolerable Cruelty or maybe even The Lady Killers. Like to me, this is a little bit different. Um, what do you think? You know, in, in, in looking at their filmography, which we're going to discuss in, more in depth, but I, I do think you're onto something here. I, I think that they're they are interested in different methods of storytelling. I don't think they always are analogous to film genres. I think they're they're mm-hmm. a lot of that influence comes from literary. Uh, yes, yeah, things, and so you've got like the Raymond Chandler novel that they adapted, kind of with the Big Lebowski, where it's this kind of like noir adaptation, and then this is a you know, an, an, a, a sort of their take on the epic, right? It's like, I mean, they, of course, it's based on the Odyssey by Homer, but... Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> That's of, what this says. <laughs> neither of them have, have read it at the time. Yeah. but um, And then, you know, of course, no, no Country for Old Men is, is actually an adaptation of a, of a book, but but you, you, you look at their some of their movies and it's like, okay, yeah, we're going to do this now. We're going we're gonna to mm-hmm. make... We're going to make our version of an epic or we're going to make our version of a, you know noir Raymond Chandler novel, or we're going to do our version of, you know, the true story that's not really true with Fargo and, you know, like films like, like, you know, Miller's Crossing is obviously like a gangster movie. And then, you know, they did True Grit, which was of course an adaptation of a very famous Western. Um, So, and then, you know, Hail Caesar is like a, a movie about a type of movie, but it's also that type of movie, you know? Right. Um, what what do you think interests the Coens about doing this movie? So I'm fascinated with how successfully they're always able to capture very specific time and place. And they do it with this movie. And I think that is a fascinating time and place. Uh, you know, the Deep South during this time period, which is what, like the... 40s 50s early or late 30s late 30s um late 30s deep south you know there's there's references to the kkk there's chain gangs there's you know uh bank robbers you we there's a um babyface nelson character uh in this movie yeah it's actually him right i think right um so i think that's kind of a cool time period that's an interesting place and they capture it so well they capture it so vividly and authentically even if it's not authentic and and they they have a knack for that to make things that that even if they're a little exaggerated or anything like that their their movies are always very they bring you in a hundred percent and this movie does that and i think that kind of interest was interesting to them to look at this place you know mississippi and alabama during this time with these characters, I feel like they looked at that and they saw a lot of options, a lot of different things they can do, whether it's drama or comedy or anything that they're good at. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe they also read The Odyssey and were and immediately saw this movie. I wouldn't put it <laughs> past them. <laughs> um, but I, I like that. I, th- I have to think that that plays into it, that they – and it's just like – I think you said it better than me, that they like to dabble in all these different types of stories – you know, a gangster movie that that was interesting to them. How can they make that their own? How can they make a Raymond Chandler no- novel their own? 
you know, how can they make a black and white film noir their own with the man who wasn't there? So I think wondering how they can make Deep South 1930s their own. Okay. Um, so it, I got the sense from your answer to my first question that maybe you didn't like this movie that much. Yeah, it's not that I don't like it. It's it's really just this is to me a little bit lesser Cohen's, um, and and that is typical for other minor Cohen. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's that's typical for this type of movie of theirs. Uh, you know, Hail Caesar is another one. Burn After Reading is another one that it's there's a tone and there's a type of comedy in it that I don't fully get on board with. It's not that I didn't like this movie. I. I I think it's structured nicely. I actually like the George Clooney character. I don't know how much I liked George Clooney in it. Yeah. Uh, but I liked his character. I like the music. I like the soggy bottom boys. I, like I said, I love the time and place. I, I, this might sound strange. I like movies that where the KKK makes an appearance. For okay. <laughs> I think that that's... I, honestly, I think, you know, that like the the height of the kkk you know the when they were in their hoods and burning crosses is a fascinating fascinating part of american history yeah. for better or worse so i think it's interesting in movies and it's oftentimes treated with uh a lot of irreverence and this movie does that certainly so there's a lot of things i like about this movie i like all those pieces as a whole this feels like a less memorable Coen Brothers movie for me. And I and I didn't remember a lot of it going in. I'd seen it before, of course, but I left it feeling similarly that in, you know, five, ten years, however long it has been since the last time I saw it, <laughs> another five or ten years, I'm going to feel the same. I'm going to be like, well, how did I feel about that movie? What was what was what happened in it? And that was a little unfortunate. It wasn't totally equal to the sum of its parts. Yeah, okay. I understand that. Um, I watched this and I, I, I'm just, I'm hugely admir, admirable. You are I, admirable. I, I am an admirable, <laughs> I am an admirable man. You're an uh, admirable podcaster. I, I really admire their filmmaking. I think what they do here, yeah. and it's not just like, you know, you say that like I admire the film more than I like it. It's That's not what I'm saying. I mean, I just think what they were able to accomplish with this film is extraordinary the soundtrack, the way it's weaved in with the, the, the filmmaking. I think it's just gorgeous. That's sort of yeah. my big takeaway. It's Roger Deakins. Yeah. I think there are, you know, they, they went out of their way to make Fargo a boring looking movie. You know, there's these interesting quotes. But it about, still looks amazing. Well, there's that one shot of like the, the Buick LeSabre or whatever it is, like yeah, yeah. cresting over the thing. But for the most part, but you know, I think Lebowski is a, for the most part, a, a pretty, it has some pretty great shots, but this whole movie is beautiful and and it's the first um film to be digitally color corrected and they 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 had to do that in order to get that to turn the greens of mississippi or wherever they filmed this into the sort of the yellows that we see and you know roger deakins did an incredible job and it's a it's the first of of what would become a very pop you know this it was now a standard in hollywood but um and and i like i love the tale, I like going on a, a journey with this thing. I, I think this is an incredible film, but I'm with you that like, you know, we'll get into, we'll get into the Coens in more detail with our, I guess what we're calling our top five or whatever the game is today. Um, but 
you know, when they... They're, they're so sophisticated. They're so talented. But when they are kind of at their best, I find sometimes that I miss... You know, the kind of the corny parts of how you connect to films, which is like relating to the characters, rooting for them. And to some extent you do that. But like, you know, Tim Blake Nelson and, and uh, John Turturro and, and George Clooney are, are all, they're just kind of like caricatures, you know? Oh, yeah, it's a good word for it. Yeah. And and I don't mind that. I think it works with what they're trying to do with the film. I don't think the Coens are making you try to feel something for them. But um there is there is there's an element of that where you where you start to feel a little disconnected from the film emotionally and even in a film like as over the top and ridiculous as Lebowski which I mean I actually do think is a masterpiece you you have that connection with uh you know the dude and Walter because you you know you see their friendship and as sort of silly as that is, there's something endearing about them. And you can, you, you know, you root for the, the dude to do well. But w- I, don't, I don't know. There's no, that, that same thing doesn't happen here with these characters. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't totally let them off the hook for it here because the, the emotional through line of this movie, at least one of them, is George Clooney's reason for escaping, him trying to get back to stop his ex-wife from remarrying. Uh, his ex-wife's played by holly hunter and that relationship you kind of don't totally care about right it's not entirely dismissed at least as as an audience member but you're right and that because you don't care totally for these caricatures they're they're really just there to kind of serve the story instead of allowing their the audience to connect with what they're going through um you miss out on that you miss out also a little bit on kind of the emotional connection that they have with each other when when John Turturro gets recaptured. You know, there's a little bit that's sprinkled in that shows that they feel bad about it, but they make it silly because Tim Blake Nelson thinks he got turned into a toad, and that's kind of funny and goofy, and it shows... And again, I think that's what you were pointing out. Like, this is this is what they were trying to do, that this is these silly characters. They're not real smart. They're stuck in this scenario, (laughs) fish-out-of-water situation. But... In doing that, you lose that emotional connection that they have with each other. And, you know, that's I, – I, I, you uh, – I'll bring this up now. Like, I, I watch Coen Brothers movies, and this one in particular, and they are so deliberate, right? Everything they do is so – Intentional, yeah. On purpose. They're, they're, you know, there's all these stories about car- uh, actors reading a line differently than it's in the script and them saying, no, 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 we wrote it like that. It's, I know it sounds funny, but we wrote it like that on purpose – Everything is so intentional. So it makes me wonder how they feel about their finished products. And like you said, you know, we don't get a lot from them in interviews. You know, I assuming that they do everything exactly how they planned, it makes any criticisms of their movies subjective. And that's kind of boring. And it's like, well, I just that just didn't work for me. I just didn't connect to the characters. But if we're saying that the Coens do everything so much on purpose, then we're saying, well, you weren't supposed to connect completely. You were supposed to look at this. You weren't right. supposed to look at this. And that's a boring way sort to critique a movie. Sort but of it what makes Jeremy me wonder. was saying about Kubrick. 
Yeah, exactly. And it, it just, it makes me wonder what, so what do they think? Do they look at this finished product and say the same things we're saying? Be like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have goofed around so much with the toad and focus a little bit more on John Totoro going back into a chain gang for like, another 50 years. Like sometimes I feel as if they're above it. Like they're above, they're too sophisticated for that kind of silliness. Critique. But no, but just like, like we're going to make these characters funny. We're going to make them talk funny. This is, this is what we're doing. And whether you care about them or not is not really. Um, That's not the movie we're making. Yeah. And, and it's not necessary. Like, and, and, and like, I, I can just imagine, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm trying to think about sophisticated filmmakers, like feeling like they are. And I mean, when I say above, I, I, that, that, that sort of insinuates a, uh, or implies a, an arrogance that I don't mean to here, but like, you know, as if, as if what they're doing with their filmmaking is at, at, at a little bit of a higher level. And I don't, I don't know, like the most successful um, portions or, or, or stories from like the Buster, the ballad of Buster Trucks, for example, are the ones where I was invested in what happened to the characters is sort of trite as that sounds. Like I, I, I like the one with, with Tom Waits where the, the all gold Canyon, like I'm, I'm you're invested and you want him to find the gold. And, um, I, I like I, I I like you know the dude in the Big Lebowski and 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 I think you know there's a they try they operate on this level that sometimes makes me think they they don't appreciate that but that's not necessarily the truth for all their films yeah and it's of all there's a handful of directors and filmmakers out there where that's a feasible explanation, right? That, you know, David Fincher comes to mind, Stanley Kubrick comes to mind, and the Coens that just, they, they are operating on a level where they see the whole picture better than their audience ever will. And that's a weird way to go at making movies, especially commercial movies. I think that's the fascinating thing about Fincher, right? We've talked about how, like, deep down he wants to be a commercial filmmaker, but he also deep down says, fuck everybody, including the audience, if they don't get what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So I think the Coens operate in a less aggressive manner, but in a way that, you know, they're we're joking about how this is this says it's an adaptation of the Odyssey by Homer and like, oh, they never read it. Well, we never read it. I don't really know much about it. I was gonna even re- I was gonna read the cliff notes of it, but I even passed on that. So maybe I mean, this is like a even really... I read the Odyssey. Like I didn't make a movie based on it. Well, but maybe this isn't a a very like in depth, deep look at something that they saw in that book. And no, I don't think so. I mean, we... the Odyssey is sort of the the reason you at least I read it in high school is because it's sort of the quintessential epic it's that's it's like right. the, the epic to that is ba- the basis for everything I, I remember i uh when i was you know still writing screenplays on a regular basis i you know when we were making them i would i would send my scripts to this writer um who uh <laughs> wrote a couple you know movies that were made and um you know he used to say that our our characters were not likable and I remember I used to go, uh, you know, wave him off like, you know, this guy writes kids movies. Like, of course he thinks that. But, you know, it's it's a it's a reasonable request. It's like a it's a reasonable note. You know, what what's with that little sly grid you got? 
I don't know. I just, nothing. You don't and agree? I, you agree? Sounds like a smart guy, Beck. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> I, feel, I, feel like, I feel like I had similar critiques. Jeremy played one of those people, too. Yeah, so. it was the acting, though. It was That yeah. really all came down it to was. the acting. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not... Uh, but when I was that age, I, I thought I was above comments like that. Like, you sure. know, this is, yeah. I, I, I'm doing something edgy and that's not the point here, but you have to love your characters. And I do I actually do think that like Jeremy and, and, and I'm sure people in our other scripts, like that's part of the job of the actor is to like, is to make you love those characters in a weird way. Like it's not always going to be in the script and Sometimes a great actor can make you care for them. That's kind of what a movie star is. It's someone who, and and that's why casting someone like George Clooney is is kind of perfect. Like I agree with you that I don't think he's. I don't really like George Clooney. I think is a little bit of an overrated actor, but um, I think he's sort of best when he's in these Coen Brothers movies and gets to cut loose a little bit. But he he is able to bring. I mean, that's why you you hire someone like that because he brings like a a familiarity to your movie and to your character and, and an immediate bond that, you know, you have the rest of the movie to break if you do it poorly. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I, it's, I actually, I think I like Clooney more in his roles, like Michael Clayton in the Ides of March and like him less in movies like this, but mm. it does make me wonder with, with, and we'll talk about this movie in particular, but the Coens, you know, they write their screenplays, they direct them, they edit them. they, they are are very uh, specific about what they want from their actors and their performances. So where, you know, do the actors even have that freedom that we're talking about to make their characters more likable? And, you know, do we end up with something that might feel a little bit over the top from George Clooney in a movie like this? Because he can't be his own charming self, George Clooney. He has to be kind of this exaggerated caricature that the Coens created. And it feels maybe uh, robotic or scripted or, or just not as authentic as a result. So is there overall control? Do we lose something in the movie as a result? Well, maybe. I mean, I, looking at a movie like Burn After Reading, that's it step on our, 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 our final segment here, but you know, that's a movie that I don't know completely works that I want to like, that I want to be really funny, but I don't know that it is. And, but I do think that, you know, like letting Brad Pitt do that is fun and it's fun to see them do that. It's fun to see George Clooney do that. But, um, I don't know. I don't know if a more traditional, George Clooney performance, you know, because the, the thought of that just, I mean, it's, I, it, it turns me off a little bit because of how I feel about his performances, but that right. doesn't appeal to me in this movie. Um, but, you know, I, I do think in some cases, like, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe like you look at a, what, what the two, the three leads in no country for old men brought to that movie, you know, they, those are sort of three kind of movie star performances, you know, like they, right. not in the sense that all those guys are big stars, but you know, they, they're never really on, they're never really on camera at the same time. And you feel, but you feel their weight throughout the whole movie, which is important. 
Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess if if we're looking at O Brother Where Art Thou in terms of like a genre piece, and like this kind of just brings me back to what I was talking about before, and you articulated better. Like, does it? Where does this fit? Like, where is? I called it a screwball comedy, but like the Coens are genre filmmakers. I think, hmm. not like not necessarily in the same way that you know, I think maybe Ryan Johnson is. We talk about him as kind of a genre filmmaker, that and it's very specific genres. But like they do the you know, they do a western. They've done a western. They've done a gangster movie. They do a film noir. They've done you know, if you want to call it screwball comedies. Um, and, but, I don't know. Is is there, are they subverting this genre? Are they? See, I don't, I don't think so. I think there's a genuine love for, or appreciation for the, for the genre. And I think it allows them to do these things that they want to do. Like, like having John Goodman wear an eye patch and speak like, uh, <laughs> what's that character's, Colonel, what's his name from, what's that like, the peacock the the rooster rooster cockbird from you know what i mean the animated character rooster oh oh uh foghorn leghorn foghorn leghorn talk like foghorn I say, leghorn I say. <laughs> yeah and and you know beat them over the head you know because he he's playing the cyclops and yeah and so like using those conventions as kind of an anchor to have fun within the genre i mean i think there is like again like i said i think there's a they stick to it in a way that that f- makes it feel like they don't that they have a lot of respect for it and by like putting them in the sort of architecture of an epic you kind of know where to go and you and you know where they're headed and you you sort of subconsciously understand the trajectory and the arc so that you are more open to sort of the silly things that unfold i guess what i'm I'm hoping you can help me out with is like, like I said, I really like kind of, I mean, I like a lot of aspects of this movie. I like this, you know, it's, it's much bigger in scale than I remembered. Yeah. There's like, there's gunfights, explosions, like there's all sorts of, uh, big things happening in this movie that I had forgotten about all of which I like on a scene by scene basis. But the, the screwball comedy nature of it, the things that I like didn't feel like they worked in a modern sense. I'm trying to understand why that was for this movie. Like what, what about the screwball comedy doesn't translate to a modern movie? What about the gangster aspects in this movie? And of course they translate to modern movies very well in others, but in this case didn't translate to a modern movie. I I can't quite put my finger on it and maybe it's just me. Maybe I just, didn't love this movie but i feel like there's something that we appreciated about kind of the innocence of a screwball comedy in the 30s that isn't present in this movie hmm and i, I just can't, i can't really figure out why i don't like it i you know i'm watching it i'm like these are all things i like but it just doesn't feel is it doesn't feel like such a, I, I think actually maybe we did stumble upon it where we just didn't have a emotional connection to the characters and what the characters were going through as individuals and maybe that's something 
that I missed? I mean, I, those are typically things that I latch onto. Um, yes, it's a, it's a good question. Because I think this happens in a lot of their films. I think it's in some, in some respects, like that's the sort of connecting line between all these movies is it's always like a sort of, I don't want to say dumb, but maybe dumb, like, or, or just like kind of out of their element to use, to, to steal a phrase from the big Lebowski <laughs> kind of, you know, person who thinks who wants to achieve something, but is like, you know, way in over their head and, you know, they're not the sharpest tools in the shed, shall we say? And, and, you know, hilarity ensues to some degree. I mean, you could even say that about No Country for Old Men, right? Like a very serious yeah, movie. Yeah, but he's in way over his head. Yeah. yeah and he, but he, he just doesn't. And hilarity ensues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so, like, there's, you know, it's interesting that Tom Hanks was in The Lady Killers because we talked on the Castaway podcast about, you know, Tom Hanks always being good at his job, right? Or like a Michael Mann movie where the the protagonists are always like experts and like it's just the opposite for the Coens. They're always yeah. like um a little out of their element, Donnie. Yeah. It's interesting to find that through line because it's true and it makes you think about it does it does help separate like the movies and we're going to kind of put them all into different categories, but like the the ones where they can take that kind of fish out of water, these characters out of their element, and just, and it works on multiple levels. It works on just like how that character interacts with the story that's taking place around them, but also how you can either sympathize or feel for that character. And, you know, a movie like The Big Lebowski, it works on all these different levels, where here, the the characters that being out of place works nearly perfectly in in their journey right it makes their journey funny it makes their journey difficult which ultimately is the most important thing but their journey is basically to get back to george clooney's wife that we just right. don't really care about so right you don't well, hit the all of those the treasure points. is why at least they're the made-up well, treasure is that what. yeah that's the excuse that he gives them to leave and i liked that little bit where they learn that it's not there, and he explains why that was done. I thought that was a good scene, and that was maybe the most I felt connected to the characters. Um, you know, those John Turturro and Tim Blake Nelson feel very portrayed in that moment. You know, they're they're not real bright, so and they're thinking about how this is going to lead them to get you know longer sentences if they get captured again, and how long it's going to be before they're free. So. I think that's that's works, but it's all treated. It's all still under the guise of a screwball comedy, so it never really fully lets you in. I love the screwball comedy. That's what that's what I've been struggling with. Like those, like I I was like I think about like it happened one night and my man Godfrey. These movies from the '30s that I just have always loved. These classic screwball comedies, and that's why I was like, why is why is this not working in a modern movie? For me, because I love those movies, and well, I, I think can't. It, I mean, it does work. This is a pretty oh, yeah. good movie, don't you think? You, I I agree. We will have to it's... see where it falls. I'm kind of excited to play the game now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good movie. It's just like I said. I think it's not necessarily a memorable movie. It's, a, you, it's minor Coens. Do you agree with me that this there was a sh- little bit of a shift here with this movie, though? 
that cha- that kind of changed the tra- trajectory of their career. So this came when I'm just gonna. So this came. It was between the Big Lebowski and and the, the man, who, um, wasn't the man who wasn't there. Yeah. Um. So I don't. I mean, I don't disagree, but because I think about, like I said, they jump around so much. I mean, this is maybe a better discussion to have as we're you know putting these into categories, but this is not necessarily all that different to me than some movies that came before it. I mean, right. But I think the distinction is that there's this, like from the aesthetic point of view, like the, the, the sound and the, the visuals are just striking. And well, Miller's crossing it and Miller's Barton Cro- Fink too are both gorgeous looking. Yeah, movies. It's been a long time since I've seen Barton Fink, but um, yeah. I, I Okay. Sure. So I, it's not that they're not, not beautiful and i i think like in some respects they, you know they work with great deep dp so that they're always in good hands but but you know there's a there's a there seems to be like a, a a little bit more serious take on that aspect of things i think yes i think that that's a fair like have you seen have make. you seen hudsucker proxy like that movie yeah, I've seen it. Is it's been a while, but yeah, and Fargo too. Like they're not they're not after an, a sort of aesthetic pleasures in that. And I think for the rest See, of that's these interesting. Movies, I think Fargo. I think Fargo has some amazing shots. Like, really, throughout the whole movie. I mean, those overhead shots of the parking lot with the one car. Yeah, and no, snow I mean, and there's like definitely some beautiful stuff on the side of the road. Shots, but and, yeah, um, it's an interesting discussion to have because they do go from from Oh Brother Where Art they they go to the man who wasn't there. That's a movie I haven't seen in a long time either. But uh, shot in black and white, you know, a lot. I, I have read that that is many consider that to be one of their their best looking movies. Um, you know, then you have a couple things in between that and No Country for Old Men. And yeah, so I mean, it could be. <laughs> It could yeah. be that you know this is a point where they really start to take the the filmmaking just as seriously as they're taking the storytelling. I'm guessing this isn't the future you had pictured for yourself when you first clapped eyes on that money. Don't worry, I'm not the man who's after you. I know that. I've seen him. You've seen him, man. You're not dead. Huh. What's this guy supposed to be, the ultimate badass? No, I don't think that's how I'd describe him. Well, how would you describe him? I guess I'd say he doesn't have a sense of humor. His name's Sugar. Sugar? Sugar, Anton Sugar. You know how he found you? Yeah, I know how he found me. It's called a transponder. I know what it's called. He won't find me again. Well, not that way. Not anyway. Took me about three hours. Yeah, well, I've been mobile. No, you don't understand. So, give me the categories again. I want to make sure. Can you like send them to me so that I don't mess them up? Because you insisted on five, and I wanted. Well, we're, we'll we'll talk about each one, and, and we'll I think we'll put them in together. We won't. Um, okay. Each have our own lists, so that way it's easy. So, basically, what we want to do um, is we're going to go through all eighteen of the. Uh, Cohen's films and we're going to put them we're going to basically categorize them and we have five categories 
Uh, the first one being their cinematic jerk-off movies. You've heard us use that term before. It is the high, the high of all highs in filmmaking. The best of the best. Uh, then, I couldn't think of a good name for it, but uh, the second category is great, but not tier one. So their next, next step down. Uh, then we have t- uh, the third category, which is probably anybody else's best movie. And then category four, good effort slash interesting experiment. And category five, I hate the Coens. What have they ever done? We, we clear on the rules, Chapin. Yeah. So why don't we work, why don't we work chronologically um, from their first movie, Blood Simple? Okay. Where, where would you put this? I think that goes uh, firmly into the probably anybody else's best movie. I think so too, which is Great. kind of amazing. <laughs> I think, I think it, it, when you watch it, it's, it appears very much like it's someone's first movie, but it also has shades of like No Country for Old Men. And <laughs> yep. if you can say that about a movie, then it's probably anybody else's best. So good. I'm glad we agree on, on the first one. Um, raising next Arizona, up, raising so Arizona. Long since I've seen it, so long since I've seen it. Uh, this is so. I think this probably belongs in good effort, interesting experiment. Oh really? But, but I also think that I would be totally willing to accept it going in the next one. Not probably anybody else's best movie. Um, because it's pretty funny. It's goofy. It's and I love this is why I think it belongs maybe an interesting experiment good effort is because they they burst onto the scene with Blood Simple this like amazing dark noir type movie and then they yeah. go do this silly movie with Nicolas Cage next that's totally off the wall and for the most part it works it's a funny movie it's a good movie but it is maybe a little bit more silly than good so is, yeah, a lot of people love this movie. But the Some next step think up would be great, but not tier one. Oh, come on. That's BS. No way. Okay, I, I don't. I feel like I have to just defer to you here, and I'm sure there'll be one where you'll have to defer to me. So. All right, in that Go case, ahead. we're going to put it in category four. Good effort, interesting experiment. I think, it's on the, I think it's on the high end of that, though. Okay. All right. All right. Miller's Crossing. Miller's Crossing. Um, this is definitely at least probably anybody else's best movie. Yep. Does it belong yeah, any I, higher than that? I don't I don't think so. Okay. So we'll go with that. That's another movie I'd love to see again, but I I really I remember really liking that and you know, just thinking all the pieces worked. I loved the music in it. Obviously, the cinematography is great. Yeah. Uh, Barton Fink. Now, this is one I know that a lot of people will make the argument that it's one of their best. How long since you've seen Barton Fink? It, it's been forever. And I remember it being <laughs> okay. it, very disturbing to me. Um, but I'm willing to put it in great, but not tier one, just because I'll I'm, I'm going to be excited to go back and watch Raising Arizona and Barton Fink to see if these hold up. But I like how we're doing this list, and then we'll watch them. Yeah, and then we'll watch them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, the Hudsucker Proxy. I think that's got to go in uh, good effort, interesting experiment, or maybe I hate the Coens. Really? I- I'm going to defer to you on this one. 
I um let's I liked put it in this I movie. hate let's let's put it in I hate the Coens. Wow. All right. Or is okay. I guess see that's the thing with the five categories. It's harder. Okay. Good effort. Interesting experiment. How about that? It doesn't. They don't all have to be equal. But Hudsucker okay, Proxy. Um. All right. Now Fargo. Great question. Hmm. Me, it's absolutely cinematic jerk-off material. Okay. I, I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue with you there. But I think it. I might. I might I, put I, this, it in the in the next category. But um, I, well, I I I'm not gonna argue with you too much. The reason my my vote here is gonna weigh higher is because I think Fargo. I think is my favorite movie of theirs. What? Yes. The Big Lebowski. Right, well, let's come. Let's come back to that. Wait. What's What's your biggest? What's your favorite movie of theirs? Fargo. Oh. Ooh, okay. Let's come back to that. Why is that? Why is that controversial? Well, can okay. Can we just let's put an asterisk? We're gonna put an asterisk next to Fargo right now because we're gonna come back to it. Okay. 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 Big Lebowski. Uh, Big Lebowski. Definitely cinematic jerk off. Okay. See, I I would be okay with that in great, but not tier one. Come but, on, Lee. But you, I, you, you just don't I, like I the reputation. Not, Divorce no, yourself wrong. from the reputation. Wrong. 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 I think, I think that I'm not going to argue. I'm, I'm perfectly satisfied putting it in cinematic jerk off. I think the big Lebowski. I, this, all right. I will say this way. I, 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 I don't think that this would flip our opinions on, on these movies or anything, but I think it would be a very interesting podcast to do the big Lebowski and inherent vice together. I think all of us need to give inherent vice a few more tries. I, I would I would agree with that. I mean, the fact and that you're I comparing think, those two movies, I no, other than... uh, I'm just they are very similar. Okay, there, and I think twenty five years of the Big Lebowski has allowed us to accept and forgive some of its convoluted nature. Okay, can, can I say this? That's I think my critique. I like I like the Big Lebowski better than Fargo. Like That's without fine. without hesitation. I, these are close. These are both very. Okay, should we close. put another star next to the Big Lebowski? No, I think I'm fine with it belonging there. I'm. Okay. I I knew going in this that I would I would point out that this is maybe great tier one, but I would okay. be happy to put it in cinematic jerkoff. Okay. Oh, brother, right. where are though? To me, that's got to go in probably anybody else's best movie. Oh boy, I think it's I think it's good effort, interesting experiment. Really? Yeah. So how do we decide this? You know, Germ- we need Jeremy's well, not here. Jeremy's going to have to do a tiebreaker on some of these. I think he's going to have to do it on Fargo. But um, uh, I mean, all right. Like, so how about the this? Thing week? Is, is, that you can, you can, is this relative to the rest of the of, of their movies or no, not necessarily. So like, I, I like the name of you know the, probably anybody else's best movie because if you like. And when we say that, obviously, we mean, like, your average filmmaker, not, right. you know, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> I think um, if, you, if somebody made this out of nowhere, like, this was their first film, it would be remarkable. You, your mind would be blown. Yeah. You, w- you wouldn't be saying good effort, interesting experiment. Okay. I like that. Good Thank argument. You. Oh, brother, where art thou? Tier three. Uh, the man who wasn't there. We just wait, then maybe we'll have seen the movie by the time we. No, have to I, I think I think that's a really good movie. 
Okay, I haven't seen it in a long time, so this is gonna have to be your call. Is I mean, it I, real? Is it great? I don't. Not I don't know tier that it's, one? I don't know that it's better than No Brother, but I do want to put it. I, I for some reason I want to put it in great, but not tier one. I'm I'm happy to put it in the lower one though. That you don't have to. Doesn't have to be a lot of logic to this. <laughs> a lot of this is just gut calls. Yeah, let's put it in the middle one, I guess. All right, this is gonna be a, a big category. We I like have... how <laughs> most of their movies are somebody else's best. All right, we got a few, uh, a few here now. Intol- okay. Intolerable cruelty. I'll put that in good effort. I, I enjoyed it when I saw Interesting. it. Interesting. I okay. enjoyed it when I saw it. I don't know that it holds up. It's made a ton of money. I I remember seeing it in the theater. Um. And I think I probably felt the same. I've re- I, I probably remember liking it fine. Um, I haven't seen it since. All right, so good effort. Okay. The Lady Killers. Uh, I hate the Coens. No, I hate the question. Coens. What have they ever done? <laughs> yeah. All right, so far that's their worst movie. No Country for Old Men. Is there really a conversation to have here? No. I hate the Coens. What have they ever done? <laughs> <laughs> No Country for Old Men is cinematic jerk-off material. Burn after reading. Now, I was going to go ahead and just dump this in I Hate the Coens, but you seemed like you maybe were a little more forgiving of this movie. No, I hate the Coens. Okay, good. (laughs) Somebody's just going to clip us saying I Hate the Coens and our podcast is going to get slammed. Uh, A Serious Man. Mm. This is another See, one that Lee, I, I love. Lee, I think we gotta we gotta rethink. We don't have enough great, but not tier one. But okay. See, I I think I know, a lot true. of people think of a serious man as as a really fantastic movie. I I like it. I just recently re- rewatched it. I did um, too. It's on Netflix. It's it's a it's it's not like the easiest movie to watch or understand. Um, but I think it's. I think it's pr- probably belongs in the middle category, unfortunately. Okay. Like, here's what we could do. Say... We could, because we've got some time, we could like put a cap on how many can go in each category and then force ourselves to, to move them around. Okay. In that case, it's got to be four per category because we have eight, 18 movies, five. So that's either three or four in each category. Okay, well, let's do it at the end. Let's do it at the end when we have everything placed so, and then replace. We it. already have four in the middle category. That's what I'm saying. Well, let's do it at the end once we like have our initial okay. picks. So okay. we're gonna have to we're gonna have to shift things. Okay, yeah. I like that idea. So we're putting so this in the going? middle category for now. Yeah. We'll um, we'll see. Have to see what happens with that because I I would be open to moving that down one even. Oh, wow. Um, I don't dislike that movie. It just didn't totally work for me. True Grit. Uh, that's going to go in good effort. Interesting experiment. I don't like that movie. But Man. I appreciate it. I mean... <sighs> you know, I mean, I haven't seen it since since I saw it in the theater. I, I, I remember liking it. And that's the weird thing about that movie is, like, that movie is... My opinion of that movie has grown higher since seeing it. But I've only seen it since, once in the theater, which was eight years ago or something, so... Yeah, I mean, I love um, the I love the Haley Steinfeld role. Yeah, like I want to like it, but I just hmm. Um, Inside Lou and Davis. I'm gonna put this in great 
not tier one. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I would accept cinematic Tarkov, but that seems like too high a praise for this movie. I know yeah. this has a very good reputation and there's a lot I really like about it. Um, but I think it's I don't I'm not sure it's in the category with the other three so far. Hail Caesar. I hate the Coens. I hate the Coens. Thank you. Jeremy likes that movie. I know a lot of some people like it a lot. I, I thought it was a me. big fail. Uh, and finally, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I, I ultimately, as much as we gave this a lot of fixy nominations, ultimately, I think this falls into good effort when mm. all is said and done. Oh, really? Yeah, I was going to say just, great, but not tier one. Wow. Just because, like, none, it hasn't st- stuck with me. It's not overly memorable as a whole. It's got some, you know, segments that I think are still quite good, but, you know, not the whole thing. All right. Since we're split on that, it's going to go for now in the middle, and we're going to have to move some things oh, really? around. Jeez, okay. All right, so we have three movies in cinematic jerk off we have two in great but not tier one we have one two three four five six in probably anybody else's best movie how many can we have per category four four at the most yeah okay we have three in interesting experiment and we have three in the lady killer so really wait i, ha- I have, have four in interesting experiment what do you have raising arizona have- hudsucker proxy intolerable cruelty and true grit oh yeah what happened? I had Raising Arizona in there. What happened to that? Um, all right. So that basically means we got to move at least two out of the middle category. And if we move one I mean, down uh, to I, good effort, we got to move another one out of there. Hmm. I, so... I'd be okay I would with honestly, Miller's Crossing dropping a category, and I'd be oh okay man, with we are just, Oh Brother going up a category, but I know you probably feel... And Buster Scruggs, to be frank. I I would have gone Miller's Crossing up a category. I would also maybe even be willing to move Blood Simple up a category, but... Yeah, okay. I don't know. Well, that I, feels, I, I'd be okay with that. So Blood Simple is great, but not Tier 1? You ju- You just said that. I know I'm not totally convinced. This is difficult. People listening I mean, don't understand I, the pressure we're under. I know. I think Buster Scruggs is a better movie than than Blood Simple. Like, I think you're Blood probably Simple right, has, but has I don't know that it's of, great. Like, a lot of like first film kind of stuff. I agree. And I, as much as Buster I like Scruggs, that, great though. What's the best movie out we of did give, all those six? I think you're right. I think it is Ballad of Buster Scruggs. We gave it a ton of fixie nominations. We got a. Stand by that. Okay, so that's going into move. great, but not tier one. Yep, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I don't know if I really believe that, but I'm gonna well, accept it. Okay. I mean, we got to do it. We have no choice. Those are the okay. rules. All right, we still have one more. We have to move out of that middle category. Um, we could move another one up. Could you could? Yeah, because we only have three in great. Well, we can't. Um, See, so the problem is, is we can't. We can't really move. Man who like I was gonna say, man who wasn't there could go, or a serious man could go to could go down a category, but that one's full. Yeah, we'd have to move that something else down. Yeah. from there. I mean, so we could I, move. 
I'd be okay moving Hudsucker Proxy or Intolerable Cruelty down to the worst category. I hate the Coens. <laughs> it's so harsh. <laughs> um, but the, see, that's the the I hate the Coens is the one that fir- I I believe is like the most taught category. Like that's the one. That's the, like that's the one that's. Yeah. Uh, there's no debating those three movies. <laughs> Lady right. Killers, Burn After Reading, and Hill Caesar. Um. See, I think Jeremy's going to come in and take a shit on this list, and I'm going to look forward to it. Yeah, I'm excited about that, too. Um, intolerable cruelty is cinematic jerk-off material. <laughs> um, but, okay, so are we set on the fact that none of the other remaining movies in Category 3, which is probably anybody else's best movie, Blood Simple, Miller's Crossing, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Man Who Wasn't There, and A Serious Man, none of those are great but not tier one. To to me, I I, I would consider a, a brother where art thou a candidate for tier great, but not tier one. Hmm. I don't know if I can accept but, that. That's okay. Um. But that's the that's I think the I'm only more one willing, I feel. I think I'm more willing to move down Hudsucker Proxy or Intolerable Crudely. Although it's that's not fair because I haven't seen him in a long enough time. Well, um, that's. <laughs> We should have just watched all these movies. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All right. I'm going to... I feel like I can't make another argument, so I'm going to have to take Oh Brother, Where Art Thou and move it up. But you're you're against that. I am, but I can't can't make a, a good case for moving something else around. Okay. And I'm looking at it now and this this looks pretty accurate to me, I think. Our top 3 being Fargo, Big Lebowski, No Country for Old Men. Those are cinematic jerk-offs. Then we have great but not tier 1 is Barton Fink, Inside Lewin Davis, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Tier 3 is Blood Simple, Miller's Crossing, The Man Who Wasn't There and A Serious Man. Good effort or interesting experiment is raising Arizona, Hudsucker Proxy, Intolerable Cruelty, and True Grit. And I hate the Coens is the Lady Killers, Burn After Reading, and Hail Caesar. For the most part, I, f- I feel like that. Uh, yeah, seems the problem right. is, is I think the, la- the the last two categories are like the most accurate. <laughs> the ones the ones that we hate or don't yeah, like. Yeah, probably. But it's uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think our I think tier our top one. I think cinematic jerkoff is well, is good. That's Lee, why don't solid. we do this? We're gonna have a fucking awesome December. And one thing I think you and I should do is go back and review as many of these as we can. No, okay. no, we're not making any promises, but yeah, it was a busy it is, time. We are leading into fixie season, but we are. But like, if we can go back and visit as many of these as as we can make time for, and then present this list to Jeremy. I don't know, in a couple podcasts and see what he thinks. Like, Because yeah. he I, won't listen to this and hear it. No, he won't listen to this. Um, he doesn't listen to the one he, he, he's not on. But uh, and, and, and have him rank him, and then, and then we can move things around as we see fit. That sounds good. We should have probably done that before we made the list. Yeah. Yeah, but this is fun. This, this, this is, is yeah. fun. This is more Behind this, anyway. Show your work. Show your work, gigs. So <laughs> Yeah, a lot of erase marks. Okay, well, uh, do you want to wrap it up, or do you want to talk about the news we were maybe going to discuss? Uh, if we've got time, we can... Yeah, so uh, 
just to keep going with our bitty segment about stream what's what's what movies are moving to streaming um i'm sure everybody who's interested saw the news that wonder woman 1984 is moving is going to be released <clears throat> on hbo max um it'll be in theaters as well i think internationally as well but it's coming out christmas um honestly i was really surprised this is a two this is the most expensive movie that will be going directly to a streaming service so everybody who has HBO Max will be able to watch it as part of their subscription. And that's quite a bit of box office that Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers is throwing away. Um, and I'm su- super surprised they're doing that. But I think, I don't know. I think it might be the logical thing to do. I mean, I, I was obviously um, advocating for some form of that um, a couple podcasts ago. Uh, but... I think it, I think it'll be interesting. You know they they've do you have HBO Max, Lee? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they've they've tried to brand that service much like Disney in sort of having putting all having like the sort of Warner categories, and you know they're not all as robust as some of the Disney ones, but you know like Disney's got Marvel and Star Wars and Pixar yeah. and um, you know National they Geographic, right? <laughs> And uh, and of course, um, Warner Brothers has you know the DC universe, and so they've got all their movies there. And I think this is just sort of the most recent, you know, DC property, and they'll they'll release it on there. And so we'll see. I just I think it's it, it obviously they're sacrificing dollars, but like I just think the idea here maybe is to just keep the excitement alive for these movies i mean it's gonna be so long before we see a dc or marvel movie in the theater and you know i don't i don't think people fans of these movies are are forgetting that they exist i think that's especially true for marvel but there is a, a very clear distance from from them now where last year 2019 which we all agreed was a, a a stunning year for movies. What all the talk was Marvel and DC movies, especially Marvel. So and that's gone, and that's because theaters are closed. I mean, that's there's a very clear reason for that. And I, but I think doing this and letting people see this movie are, it will get the excitement back going for these movies and these characters and these universes that are that uh, have been created and that so much money is going into. So I think it's a smart move on that front. Yeah, I think it's an excellent point. Um, I think it's not um, a, it's not uh, a coincidence that the movies that you're seeing go to streaming or flirting with going to streaming are the ones that have invested some money with marketing. Uh, I mean, this is a big event. People look forward to the the Wonder Woman sequel. They, I think it was it was supposed to come out in the summer, so they spent all this money promoting it. You know, much like they did with. Um, the James Bond movie. And I think the idea of possibly doing that again and moving the release date is just unacceptable because it's just, you know, it takes a hundred million dollars to, to open a movie like that. Yeah. You know, that, and that, so they're, 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 they're going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars for not putting in the theaters, but how many more hundreds of millions are they going to keep spending to 
keep the buzz alive for right, it. Right, right. As and we're, as the we're long-term waiting. thinking about HBO Max, I mean, I, I, I've been reading middling things about its success, but somehow it's got 38 million subscribers. I don't know how that's not excellent, it's, but <laughs> I guess that, it's not. Their portfolio is so good. I mean, there's so many great movies in, in there. Yeah, um, yeah. So they cool. got me. All right, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Get Your Film Fixed podcast. Look forward to our list of... Uh, our updated list of Coen Brothers movies sometime in December. Next week, it's probably just going to be Lee and I reviewing uh, Hillbilly Elegy. Um, from Read an Netflix. article on the Atlantic today that it's the worst movie of the year. Really? Well, that'll be fun. I, I, um, should we tell people why we want to do that? Review though? a shitty movie. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of buzz for the, the performances. Um, and I think it'll be really interesting because... Lee, you or you do not like uh, Amy Adams, and I do not care for Glenn Close. So uh, we'll have to see. This how is going to be a blast, Haven. I'm actually really looking forward to it. All right, we'll have to have a couple of drinks beforehand. But uh, okay, we'll see you then. Take care. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.